episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing all right, Jody. As always, I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing good, too. Can't complain. I'm not going to say good. anything further. All right. Well, there you go. Awesome. So what did you think about our interview with uh, Christopher Alice last week? Juicy, like a giant four-inch filet mignon. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of, obviously, new Christopher. I haven't talked to him in a minute, but mm-hmm. there's there was so much like, kind of like wisdom that he was spreading around there. I thought it was like really, really good and things to think about if you're getting into the session scene. But I was really, really taken back almost by the detail that he goes into to try to emotionally connect with the piece of music he's going to work on. I thought that was really, really both inspiring and impressive. Yes, I agree. It's the same sort of approach that I take when I'm trying to write with a co-writer who isn't you, because we already have that connection. We got our kind of thing going here. Yes, we do. (laughs) With that said, what do you think? Should we just go into the part two of the interview with Christopher Alice. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to feel like you're diving right into the middle. Essentially, you are. You kind of are, (laughs) right? But if you didn't catch part one, go back and listen to that one first because there's a lot of stuff in there and there's going to be just as much stuff in the episode coming up. All right, and without further ado, we're jumping back in. All right. And then going back to the miking here, do you have a particular mic that you're also using for the hi-hat or is that caught in the overheads? I do have a mic on the hi-hat. Right now it's uh, a Sennheiser 906, which is a little square microphone that they use a lot for guitar cabinets. Mm -hmm. It's a low profile, which I like. And one of the studios that I do a lot of work at, we were just like, uh, we were using an SM7, one of the Shure SM7s. We're just like, we want to try something different. What do we have and I was like, well, let's try the 906. I'm like, okay. And, you know, again, just kind of set the set the switch, take out, you know, all the low end. Mm. And so you just have this bright kind of crispiness that works for the hi-hat. But I'm really using very, very little of it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I tend to use bigger hi-hats. I'm using 15 and 16 and sometimes 17-inch hi-hats. So, that is large. Um, <laughs> What's the average? Yeah. Like 13 or 12? 13 or 14. Okay. 13 or 14, yeah. Since moving out here, my sound concept has changed dramatically. Where when I moved out here, it was very much like that Dave Weckl, Vinnie Caliuta kind of a lot of splash cymbals and smaller crashes and just make a quick statement. And, you know, you start playing with singer-songwriters and you want to hit something once and just have it ring over the bar line. You know, you want to have your tuning a little bit different. So... You know, there feels like there's more breath and more kind of depth and distance to the drum kit. So, you know, now I can't see myself going back to the all all kind of thing. I just want to, you know, I want to be able to (laughs) hit it once and just, you know, just let it go. Glorious decay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very much so. So what's the number of tracks that you've got in terms of mics then? I'm running 11 tracks right now. Kick in, kick out, snare top, snare bottom, hat, rack, floor, floor, overheads, and then a mono room. Gotcha. And we discussed this a little bit the other day in terms of what is the processing that you're using on each of these tracks? Is there a lot of processing or is it just a pre kind of thing? What's your deal? 
Right now, it's just the pre, and pretty soon it's going to include some analog EQing as well on kick-in, snare top, overheads, and all the toms, because you're working within limitations, and one of the limitations is my room, the size and sure. all that. So there are certain things that I want to be able to pull out in order to really give as much as much tone, as much, you know, just solid analog goodness as I can. So the EQs are really going to help to take out, like, particularly my room, or just in general, like the 400, you know, for kick and toms, you know, just kind of scoop some of that. The muddiness. And the, yeah, 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 the muddiness and the boxiness, you know, get rid of that. I've been sending people just raw tracks. I've not been so ego-driven as to want to do mixes or whatever, but right. now that I've gotten some of the stuff back that people have sent me of the raw tracks that I've sent them, I am starting to think about doing a really, really rough mix and just kind of giving them. It's like, you know, I was thinking something like this right. for this particular drum performance. That way they have somewhere to go. You're not pre-processing your raw tracks, so to speak. You're actually no, sending them the, no. the actual raw track. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of felt like in all you know, I, I I asked a lot of producers and a lot of uh, a lot of engineers, drummer friends of mine as well that have been doing this for a lot longer than I have. To a person, they all said if you're just starting out just send raw tracks. Mm -hmm. Then if you want to start messing around with doing mixing and all that stuff, which you probably will because you're going to start hearing stuff and it's going to be like, well, they definitely didn't know how to do that very well, did they? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 sorry to say. No, it's a common and, and, thing and when then, people are learning or they don't understand that they're dealing with the raw track. And maybe their room has the exact opposite of the issue that you're hearing in your room. So they don't hear the same problem as it arises because it's being countered out, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely possible as well. The raw track seems to be the best way at this point, not only to get the job at hand done, mm -hmm. but also, you know, it just affords me every opportunity I have to go in and muck around and make noise and record stuff. You know, it's it, you're building, you know, incrementally you know, to the skill set that you have sure. and, and, you know, being, being able to be more effective with troubleshooting when, you know, the, the same boneheaded things that you have done the last 10 sessions come up again. You're like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot to do that. Didn't I? Um, <laughs> so note. it just, it, yeah, absolutely. And I've actually got a little, I've got a little checklist, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just like, you know, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do that? You know, and kind of look at it. And I was like, man, you're such a blockhead, but, uh, but, uh, but it works. Okay. You know, I mean, it definitely works. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So when, just to, to sort of talk about the processing when you're sending the raw tracks, when you're tracking, not at your place, but if you're going to, you know, somebody else's studio or somebody else's room, mm -hmm. How involved do you find that you get with, if at all, with any processing that might happen at those tracking sessions? I mean, do, do you find that engineers would like to have perhaps 
tickling your drums with slight compression going in, or is that generally a, a big no-no? Because I know Jody and I have a pretty strong opinion about that. If you don't really know what you're doing, <laughs> well, yeah, if you uh, but don't also know what you're with doing. Well, obviously with EQ and things, because I think overall there's a lot of stuff going on there. Because I think tracking a live drum kit is probably one of the most technically challenging things that you can do when it comes to sort of standard recording because you're dealing yeah, with so many fraught. parameters yeah. because all that never mind just miking up a guitar cabinet it's just like okay put it in front of where it sounds good and you can't really mess up but with drums not only do you have the bleed but you got the phase and you got you know how much is the overhead going to pick up are we going to use a room mic all of these parameters that are they're moving so it's a process that is really easy to mess up, I think. You know, mm -hmm. if, so yeah. to go back to my original question, with the compression, how much processing are going in when somebody, when you're going to somebody else's place? When I'm going to somebody else's place, I, I have the good fortune of working with people that know what they're doing. So I'm going to trust their judgment because typically, like if I'm going to Stag Street or if I'm going to NRG or East West or whatever, they know the room right so and and they know the gear so if i go in and listen back and i'm like you know that sounds a little bit boxy or you know it feels you know i'm not feeling the same thing coming through the speakers as i am when i'm actually playing the kit it's a little bit of a negotiation but i don't try to insinuate myself too much it's that ego thing yeah i mean if i if i'm going into somebody else's room the chances are it's either for them or it's for an artist that they're producing. So they already have their concept. Right. So yeah. as long as I've got a sound that is relatively close to what I'm used to, then I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That works. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it, there's certainly something to be said for a person that works in that space all the time. We can assume that they know the room and they know the benefits and the drawbacks of that room. So this is yeah. why they're doing certain things. Yeah. Sometimes they I do, do ask a lot of questions. I, I do good. ask a lot of questions. Yeah, I do ask a lot of questions when I go into other people's studios. I'm like, well, you know, what kind of compression are you using? Why are you using that kind of compression? Is it based on the room? Is it based on the drums? Is it based on the song? And how often you know, are they giving what, you answers? Pretty much all the time. Right. Yeah, pretty much all the time. I mean, it's not a don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I mean, if I wanted to, if I wanted to find out what they were doing, I could go on the internet and find out like that. Sure. Why don't I just ask the person who's actually doing it? Because I want to be an advocate for them just as much as I want them to be an advocate for me. There you go. So if I'm asking good questions and they see that I'm easy to work with, if it's the first time that I've worked with them mm -hmm. and then they're seeing what kind of performance they're getting out of me. Yeah. All of a sudden I've got another ally in another studio who's going to be like, you know what? I just did this session with this guy, Christopher Alice. And he's really and he good. came in his gear. His gear sounded great. He was really easy to work with. We got finished ahead of time. Call him. Yeah. Yay. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah. Win, yeah. win, win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this guy Christopher, he came in and changed all my compression and EQ settings and he played whatever he wanted, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't be that yeah. guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know plenty of guys like that in this town anyway. So, yeah. Uh, and, but yeah. just like you mentioned at the top here, like they tend to perhaps not work all that often. 
So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is, it is a people business, definitely. And it I, is. Yeah, and I'm I'm constantly reminded of this saying, like, well, it's it's not what you do; it's who you know. Well, th- but that's only half true. Because it mm-hmm. is true, as it is who you know, but it's also how you impress who you know. Because nobody's yeah. going to go to bat for you if they know or are unsure if you can deliver or not. So, yeah. Well, here's a question yeah, for you in regards to something of that nature. I'm sure you're familiar with Josh Freeze. Oh, I love Josh. Isn't he? He's a great drummer. There's a story that I had heard. A friend of mine was helping produce a track for a rather well known Japanese artist. And they kept trying to get the proper fill for a part in this song. And they brought in multiple drummers just for the fill. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes, that was told to me, Josh comes in, listens to it, hits one Tom, boink, that's it. And they're like, brilliant. We got it. That's what it needed. (laughs) kind of thing. And everybody else was coming in apparently and just trying to throw the craziest fill possible. Yeah. And Josh is known for being one of those kind of players as well, who can play ridiculous fills, but he just hit a single Tom and it was done. Well, I mean, he's, he's a perfect example and, you know, his, you know, probably his main mentor, like Vinny Caliuta, they are guys that are going to play what is correct for the song. You have to be willing to play for the song. You have to be willing to listen to what the song needs and then execute that. And that's a perfect example of Josh being Josh, basically. Sure. Yeah. And Vinny could have come in and done something completely different and it would have been just as appropriate because in both instances, they're not trying to do the dig me fill. They're trying to be like, what punctuation mark, i.e. this fill, what punctuation mark is going to get us to the next part of the song? Right. right. Yeah. What's the link? And it could either be a boom, or it could be a thuggetaboom, or whatever the hell it happens to be. But, you know, you have to be willing to listen to that and then make that happen. So, How yeah. often, on that note, I was just thinking of something when, when you're mentioning that. How often when you go into track for a song, have you heard either a demo for it or do you have the vocal line the way it's going to be or a demo vocal there? And how often do you sort of adjust your fills or, or your parts depending on a vocal line that you might be cautious to step over? If it's a library kind of track, mm-hmm. I very rarely if ever have heard the song beforehand. And there are times where they'll just kind of play certain reference songs for me and they won't even have anything. They'll just be like, we want this kind of vibe type of thing. We want this kind of vibe and it needs to be 16 bars for the verse, eight bars for the chorus, repeat that, do something different for a bridge section, drop off for the first half of the last chorus, pick it back up. Second, end chorus go a little bit crazier end on the end of two bar 17 of that second course like, okay and you just chart it all out right okay and then bang and then they'll write the track around it mm. if it is a more traditional singer songwriter kind of session yeah maybe i'll have a, a rough demo 
like a little iPhone recording. And in those instances, I'll always ask for the lyric sheet because okay. I, I need to, I, I need to understand emotionally what's going on within the song. Mm-hmm. I'm not going really to that, awesome. get that. I'm not going to get that from a chord chart. I am going to get that from the lyrics. So if I have a conversation with a songwriter, I'm like, who are some of your influences? Mm-hmm. You know, what were you going for in this song? Then I can, I can attempt to put myself in the emotional headspace that the song requires. And then that informs my drum part. When Mm. do you think you started asking those questions? Because that is very interesting. And I don't recall you and I in our recording sessions that we did really coming across on those kind of questions. So I'm just kind of curious when you picked that up. I mean, it wouldn't have been too, too long after we worked together Uh in, in that studio kind of environment, because what I found happening was I started getting calls from a lot of different female singer songwriters. I mean, I think partially it was the time, sure, but I also think partially it was because upon meeting me, you know, at Genghis Cohen or the mint or whatever, they're like, I'm, I don't feel threatened by this person. Mm -hmm. I.e. this is a person that I would potentially be willing to work with. I'm going to sit down with him, talk to him and find out what's going on. And then I started developing kind of a, a list of questions that I would ask people. Sure. Who are some of your influences? What have you been listening to lately? Just for fun. From there, I was able to start to kind of understand just how different people related to what they were writing and how they related to me and how they related to the studio environment. Because it's a very, very daunting thing. If you're a songwriter who is stepping foot in a studio for the first time, you got a lot of things swirling in your head. I don't want to add to that swirling vortex. So how can I be as much as I can be? How can I be a centering influence for you? They're like, okay, I know my drummer is going to be fine because we already talked. <laughs> right. yeah. So I don't need to worry about them. So all I need to worry about is this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing. And it's not exclusive. Those questions aren't exclusive to just working with female songwriters I, I ask it of anybody that i work with now sure that just allows me to get into the headspace of whoever it is that i'm working with not in a psychoanalysis way but just what do i need to do to emotionally fit that particular song or this cycle of songs that we're recording right that makes good sense and i think probably too it was as i've been told some of the stuff when i had other people recording it at the time was technically easier because I already had a roadmap mm-hmm. oftentimes. So it probably made it easier in that regard. Well, you were also much more able to communicate what it is that you were looking for as well, because you had more of a vision right. of, of what it was that you wanted out of the song. Not everybody necessarily has that same understanding of what they want specifically so as a result it takes a little bit of time to develop the rapport ask the questions yeah yeah exactly gotcha good on uh the note there with performance and things and you mentioned jody having fairly well-defined view of what he heard for his song how often if at all would you rather go in with 
your mindset and somewhat of a clean slate when it comes to parts, as opposed to perhaps, yeah, I have an idea. I want you to go with, with just a ride symbol on this section and I want there. And then I want like a crash ride thing going on. Or would you prefer to go in? Yeah, I kind of know what the, the gist of the song is, but I kind of want to see what a drummer would do here, as opposed to, let's say, my case, a guitar player who's programmed a part that I think <laughs> sounds cool. Because you're obviously coming from a much different vocabulary. Is that something that you come across at all? Or do you not even think in those terms where it's just like, eh, he knows what they want, I'm going to give him that? Or do you feel like you could better serve the song, given their information that you're given, but bring it up or, or kicking up another couple of notches? It, it, it really depends on the situation. I think that there are times where I think I'm becoming better at being able to determine whether or not things are going to stay the way that they were either in a pre-production rehearsal or based on the conversation that we had beforehand. But there are a lot of times where, where we'll get in and they'll just start wanting to make a million different changes and, you know, Oh, you know, this really isn't working now. And mm -hmm. Sometimes that's legitimate. And then there are other times where that's just somebody, you know, poncing about really and <laughs> wanting to buying into the hype, basically. It's like, I'm in a big studio now. And so I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. It's like, well, that's not what we talked about. But, you know, I'm not going to pick that fight at that point. It's like, okay, all right, let's give that a shot. Uh -huh. And. <laughs> And, you know, in, inevitably, it's going to go one of two ways. I'm either going to be like, oh, okay, fair play. That was actually a cool idea. Or, mm, yeah, that really didn't work out all that well, did it? So let's let's go back to plan A and let's at least get that down. That's usually the way I'll, though. I was like, let's table this. Let's get the original idea down first because that's what we had discussed. And then yeah. let's play around a little bit. Let's utilize our time as wisely as we can. So let's get the sure thing that we were talking about and then let's mess around and see if we can come up with something that's different, not necessarily better, but different. That's kind of right. fitting where your head is at. And then you can use either, you can use either one. Sage yeah. advice both, right there. Whatever. Sage, sage advice. Absolutely. We're going to interrupt this for just a moment to get a word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. I have one more technique question type of thing that I would like to ask Jody. I'm not sure if there's- Go ahead too much more. But when we're talking about recording, there's a technique I hear a little bit about, and it's something that you and Jody did kind of, sort of, back when you are using your, your V-drum kit. And that would be the idea of recording the drums in two different passes, where on pass one, you record nothing but the shells. And then in the second pass, nothing but the symbols, right? So you're, you're essentially overheads and all this kind of stuff. Is that yeah. something that you have done? And if so, pros and cons, and if you have any feelings about, about that technique of doing it? Oh, you know, I've actually, I've, I've done even one better as well. So there's a third way of doing it, which is recording each individual piece of the drum kit completely separate. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> one, one, yeah. one, one drum at a time. Why yeah. not just use a sample library? At that point? <laughs> well, what's interesting about that is, and I, I asked that same question, and 
So in a situation where I'm having, like, it, it was, it, this was forever ago, and the person only had, like, one mic pre, and it was, you know, kind oh, of. Oh, okay. So I was like, okay, so. Gear limitation. Then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that gear limitation actually provided for a really interesting result, because what I would do is I would air drum the other, the hi-hat and the snare drum or whatever, mm-hmm. and then just play the kick drum pattern. Right. So. I have that movement in my body, like I'm playing the whole kit, even though I don't have the actual sound. Right. So when you put it all together, it still sounds like me. It still feels like me. Right. But because of the limitation of the gear, we had to do it that way. Right. That's one way of doing it. But that's I've a creative cl- – th- there's one of those things that you said, the gear limitation forced your hand to do it in a really creative way. So, yeah. so that's yeah. interesting. And obviously the, the other of separating the kit pieces and the overheads would be for control for when exactly. it comes to the mixing stage, right? You, you have less bleed to worry about and you got this and that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. But, you but feel- even in, that, in mm-hmm. that situation, like I'm still playing along, right. air drumming, and then bang. And maybe I'll hit the bass drum as well to give a little extra oomph when, you know, when I'm accenting those crashes or whatever. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So – bang 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 you know whatever right. and then so you've got a little extra oomph that you can throw into the track when you're mixing it because you've essentially got you know another another kick going as well okay i just wanted to to get your opinion on that because i think it's interesting but it's not i would imagine from a drummer perspective that that might take a little bit of getting used to for for some drummers. Like it, 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 it would it, have to feel it does. A little weird. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. But it's like, so let me get this straight. You're asking me to do something. I still get to play music. I still get to do this thing that I love. You're asking me to work outside of my comfort zone. Maybe I'll learn something. So, am I really going to complain about this? Yeah, I mean, no. Yeah. Let's just yeah. let's let's just yeah. freaking let's just freaking get it. Yeah. Let's just freaking get it done. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, if and, I come out of it fair, knowing that I don't. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. And to be fair, yeah. when Chris asked the question, we didn't actually track the V drums and then the cymbals. We actually tracked the cymbals and the V drums at the same time. Right, but but uh, that just triggered my memory there sure. from, from the concept of doing that because that was, if I remember correctly. I may not, but it was the the shells of the V drum kit sounded really good for the time because you could have anything trigger anything, but the cymbals left a little bit to be desired. Oh, so they left a lot you, to be and, desired, and still do, and, and still do. To be quite honest, uh-huh. I mean, again, it, you've got such huge sample times for most cymbals that right. there's just no way that you're going to be able to have an affordable, quote unquote, affordable kit electronic kit with the kinds of symbol samples that are going to give you that decay like the processing power i mean that's why people are walking around with a laptop and using tune track or, or whatever they happen to be using because at least there they are massive sample libraries right. and you are able to trigger and you know you've got you've only got 128 steps of dynamics right yeah until midi 2.0 comes out which should be soon (laughs) well sure but what's your um experience with besides jody back in the 
1700s. Um, <laughs> are, are playing an electronic kit, but using, like you said, like Superior Drummer or something like that as your sample source. How does that, if at all, change your feel for when you're playing? I'm definitely playing lighter. Yeah. I don't have to worry about extracting a sound out of the drum. Right. Because it's just an impulse. Yeah. So I can play lighter. Mm-hmm. You know, that helps with the way that the samples are actually tracking. So there's no there's no double triggering or, or anything like that. Right. I don't approach any of it too terribly differently, though, beyond just playing a little bit lighter because I'm setting the kit up exactly as I would my acoustic kit. Right. So it's the same physical movement around the kit and everything is in the same relative position. It's just that the sizes of the targets are a little bit smaller. That's all. Sure. And I'm like, well, okay, I can do that. So it's, it's, cool. it's cool that way. Awesome. Fantastic. Jody, yes. you got anything else? No, I think we should. Well, actually I do want to bring something up. There was an instance where we played a gig, all three of us at the gig in LA. And it happened to be, a gig that I, as a guitar player, you as a guitar player, I don't remember him saying much about the drums on that gig, but something very interesting happened with the sound man and something actually also very interesting happened backstage. And the backstage thing was, is that I ran into Eric Dover and I don't know if many people out there know who Eric Dover was, but he's one of my favorite guitar player singers in the world. He's just absolutely astounding. We got I just did a gig with him this past weekend. Did you really? Oh yeah, we 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 gig all the time actually. You play with him or just you were on the same yeah. stage? Well, we I know, I know we play together. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Because that's the that night was the night I met him for the first time ever. And because of my fanaticism so to speak about jellyfish and imperial drag, he stuck around to watch our sound check and then came up to me afterwards and paid us a huge compliment. So that was like really awesome to me. <laughs> but, no, he's, he is good people. Oh, and he's an amazing musician to boot as well. Yeah. But the interesting thing about that and why I bring it up has everything to do with volume. And we have talked a little bit about how hard you're hitting and, and other things. We were sound checking and the sound guy was scratching his head and he says to us, I've never said this before, but both of you guitar players can turn up. And you... <laughs> It, the other day as we were testing this out mentioned that you have had people say can you hit harder for yeah. a live thing and your response was yeah. why <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, basically it's like turn the gates down and just let me play the way that i play that is slightly egotistical but i don't want to have to play louder because then that's going to change the way that the vocalist is relating to the stage and maybe they're going to need to have their monitor turned up as more as a result of the fact that I'm having, you ask me to play louder. That's going to affect the way that they are, you know, relating to the song, dealing with the song. Just turn the gates down and let me do my thing and let that person be comfortable because ultimately it's their song. They're up front. I'm in the back let them do their thing let them get their point across and let me help them do that. So. Sure. Uh, this cool. is a great way to look at it. We're going to wrap this up here and we have three questions that we tend to ask here as a standard kind of thing. 
So dun, dun, the first dun. one. Oh, prepare! Can you? Can we get a drum roll before we get? Going? All right. <laughs> so the first question is: What's your favorite piece of gear that you can't live without? Oh, uh, and no, you um, can't pick two. We need <laughs> okay, I, I have a six and a half by fourteen copper phonic Ludwig snare drum. Basically, it looks like every other Ludwig snare drum, but it's a copper shell, and it's a raw copper shell, and there's nothing that that snare drum can't do. Cool. And you know, I've got a bunch of beautiful Black Beauties and bronze shell drums and all that stuff, and I will bring them with me to sessions, but that, that copper phonic, that's the drum that always gets put up first, hmm. and usually it stays. This right. is going to be a corny question, but based on the fact that you've said it's a copper thing, you've seen those advertisements for like, I wear copper wraps around my shoulders or my knees. Does it make you feel calm and, and less inflamed for playing that? <laughs> less, less inflamed. <laughs> All right, Jody, inflamed. Ne next question. <laughs> uh, Christopher, what is the biggest lesson that you have learned in your career? Oh, goodness. Listen. Hmm. The act listen. of listening. Actually, that, it's great that you said that word, the act of listening. It's active listening, mm -hmm. not passive listening. Because there's such a huge difference between hearing and listening. Yeah. And I don't want to just hear music. I want to listen to music. I don't want to just hear the conversation. I want to listen to the conversation. And that was a huge aha moment where I was like, you know what? If I focus just ever so slightly differently, what I gain from that active listening process is it's exponentially larger than it would be otherwise. And it's, it's helped me not only behind the drum kit, but certainly it's helped me in front of the drum kit and all of my relationships as well. So yeah, active listening, absolutely. Very cool. Okay. And last one, and I think you might have already answered this with that previous reply here, but what's the piece of advice that you universally give to people that might ask you questions about your career or they strive to be in your position? Say yes. Okay. Because so if, if you say no to stuff, you're cutting out a host of different potential opportunities. But if you say yes and you experience it, then you can make the decision of whether or not you want to do it again. But if okay. you say no immediately... Or if you feel like you need to be in a corner office already, as opposed to, you know, doing a coffee run or whatever, you know, just say yes to whatever opportunities seem potentially reasonable. There's that equation that I always go by. It's like, you know, you've got three variables, the hang, mm -hmm. the music, and the money. Right. And if any two of those variables are satisfied, then it's pretty reasonable that you can say yes to whatever it is. If all three are satisfied then you absolutely say yes and you hope that you can maintain the gig for a long time. If only one variable is satisfied, then really the onus is on you to make the decision. Do I want to take a chance and do this? Or do I want to just say no and be okay with not experiencing that? My advice is you know, say yes when it seems reasonable and appropriate and then you can make the decision if you want to say yes to that further down the line, if and when it comes up again. Yeah, That's good advice right there. 
Excellent advice. We'll just have to thank Christopher for coming on. This was really, really cool. Uh, there's a lot of great advice and there are a lot of great techniques. So thank you for doing this, Christopher. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks it. so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And now it's Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got for us? I discovered a sample library this uh -oh. week that I thought was really, really cool sounding. It's from a company called Have Audio. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say this in very pronounced Swedish because I can. It's called Nordisk Kontrabass. And say that 10 times fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but what it is, it's a essentially a stand-up bass, a Nordic stand-up bass that has, in this sample library, has this very sort of dark sort of Scandinavian type of cold sound to it, like you might hear in a lot of the Scandinavian detective dramas or anything like that. It was a very, very cool sounding sample instrument that I thought sounded really, really cool. And I'm definitely going to give that a long, hard look. So mm. have audio Nordisk Contrabass. What about mm. you, Jody? I'm going to go with the fact that Apple just dropped a couple of song examples from Dua Lipa and Lady Gaga for GarageBand users. Hmm. And that cool. will allow you to dig into some of the sounds that they use to create some of their hits. So if you want to explore as a budding producer or recording engineer or sound designer, something that has already been a hit, you can take a look at what Apple has dropped in relation to some Dua Lipa and Lady Gaga songs. While we've got your attention, we'd like you to go to the website at insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our email list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about shows as they come out and the Tuesday tips that happen every Tuesday. In addition to that, when we're running a giveaway, you are automatically entered to possibly win that giveaway. And we currently have two winners for this week's giveaway. We'd like to congratulate our July 2021 winners of the LMC Plus SSL Compressor. They are... Dennis Pavlov. And David Fredrickson. Congratulations, and thank you for being a loyal listener to the podcast. In addition to that, if you send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word drummer, you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, contact us on our contact page at the website, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week, Chris. See you, Jody. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks, you guys. Again, appreciate it greatly. 